Amen. Well, good morning, church, and um, happy Thanksgiving. If you weren't here last week, you get to hear us say it today. And um, uh, hopefully you guys are encouraged. We got the place decorated. I didn't get it decorated, but our amazing team did, so it looks very Christmassy. So I don't know if your house is decorated for Christmas uh, or not. Some of us are pre-Thanksgiving decorators. Go and raise your hand. Be honest. Be honest. Get it out there. Okay. Others are like, wait a second, you're supposed to decorate? Um, and that means you're probably in college, right? So in college, I think we went out and got a tree and strung up some lights around. So you can do it too, guys. You can make it, make your home here as well. Um, well, <clears throat> uh, as Billy shared earlier, we are uh, starting a new series here called Prepare the Way. And uh, it's really what we're doing here during the Advent season. And so um, uh, I'll be showing a little bit more about that today. But as it is the Sunday kind of kicking off the Advent season, I wanted to um, just bring you guys just briefly into our family in terms of what we do during the Christmas season. And so um, a couple things we do is I go online and buy these for each of our kids. And what they are is a little Advent calendar and there's chocolates that are inside. And so our kids get pretty excited. So what we start doing is every night we sit around the table and we've got some candles that we light and have different kids light the candles and they each get to have their advent calendars and get to open up whichever day it is and there's a little scripture in there and they get to eat their chocolate and, um, and then what we do is we then take turns with this. Are you ready? You're about to be wild. You ready? Okay, here you go. Wow. I know. I knew it. I knew you were going to say that. So... Um, this is our other book. So this one we use every year, and there's little ornaments inside each of here for the days of the month um, leading up to Christmas. And um, there's also a really cool book in here, which I can't uh, seem to get this thing open yet. There we go. Anyways, a little book in here. And every uh, night, what we will do is we will eat our chocolates, we light the candles, and then we take turns reading one of the stories. And then one of the kids gets to put an ornament on, and the reason why we do that, guys, is because we want to have every day during the Advent season be something that our kids remember. Hey, every night before we go to bed, the last thing we do is we read a story. We go over the scriptures. We remind ourselves as to what the Advent season is, and we do it because we want to create memories with our kids. What they know is once we get to Thanksgiving, and we go between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we tend to focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus, on his birth, on his second coming. And there's a lot of other things going on, right? I mean, within the Christmas season, our family's not immune to it. There is Black Friday, there is Cyber Monday, there is, oh, I get to bake things, you know, again. There are Christmas movies that are out in the theaters or you can stream. There are Every store you go into is Christmas-themed on some level. I know some of them started back in October, which I think is a little early. Um, but the, it is all around us. And what's interesting, even in our society, in our nation, um, there, are, there there's a sense of anticipation, right? There's a sense of expectation. Like, it is building. It's, hey, what are you doing for Christmas? It's where are you going? What are y'all? How are y'all celebrating? What's going to happen? People are making plans. You're getting ready for those Christmas party parties. You're either hosting or attending, right? You're trying to 
locate that tacky Christmas sweater. Either you have it from a thrift store, a genuine tacky Christmas sweater, or from grandma, or you've gone to Walmart and you've gotten a tacky one, right? However it looks, you are preparing and you are anticipating this Christmas season. And for us, as we kind of thought through and prayed through this, this season, we said, hey, we want to make sure that our church, that we are anticipating, we're preparing ourselves, but that it's for him. And everything else is okay, but it's secondary, right? Everything else has to be secondary. And for our family, we want to create the environment that says, hey, what is primary is not the giving of gifts, the receiving of gifts. What is primary is not the yummy food or the holiday travel or the movies or the decorating. Those are secondary. What is primary is that we are anticipating, again, celebrating the birth of Christ and the second coming. It's the first coming and the second coming, right? That is what we want to do as a family. So I don't know where you're at and whether you've got kids, you're a college student or young adult or you're a grandparent now, You've got to consider, hey, how can I make this season special and unique, unlike the rest of the year? And I don't mean unique as in just do what the world does. I mean unique in saying, how do we make this, this time unique in such a way that is memorable, memorable and lasting? Because we will take down the Christmas tree. We will uh, de-decorate. Um, we will kind of go into some sort of new diet in January, right, that doesn't include everything we're eating now. So that actually comes and goes. What we want to remain is the anticipation and the focus for this month to say, Lord, let that remain with us. Let this be the reminder, right, every year we take a month to remind ourselves, man, Christ has come and he's coming again. And we want that to be a daily thing in our family. So I encourage you to do something special. Not to do what we do, but do something that is memorable, unique, and especially for families. All that I can say is that what we've learned is creating traditions for your family, it just makes it extra special. And those are memories they need to feel like they have stability, to feel like they have family. It's those experiences that you do together year after year. And this morning, we're gonna look at a few passages in, in Isaiah and um, the first one to look at is Isaiah chapter 35. And when we talk about anticipation, right, we talk about expectation. Oftentimes when we read the scriptures, what we're anticipating is the promises of God coming to pass, right? Like we're anticipating God spoke this, and the Israelites were anticipating God said this, so we are now readying ourselves for that day or for when that promise will be fulfilled, and you have to remember that the Jewish people once made their exodus across the desert, right? From Egypt, out of slavery, into a place of freedom, eventually into the promised land, led by Moses, but then it stopped there, and Joshua carried them all the way in to the promised land, and that as they marched through this desert and this wilderness for years, out of slavery, but in this wilderness place, these stories were passed down to their kids, and so when we read Isaiah 35, remember that in context. They know what it's like to be in the desert and the wilderness. Isaiah 35, 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. 
It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Now I want you to notice a couple of things here. One, the word will is used over and over. Right? Will be glad. Will rejoice and blossom. Will burst into bloom. Will rejoice greatly. Will be given. They will see the glory of the Lord. Now, of course, these are metaphors, right? You may think of crocus. You're not really sure what that is. Some sort of cricket or something. It's not. It's a flower, right? It's a, it's a small flower that actually would spring up in the desert, right? This really unique flower that would blossom. When it talks about Lebanon, the glory of Lebanon, whenever you see that in the Bible, it's mostly talking about its cedars, right? And I didn't really have a concept for that until years ago, or several years ago, Ash and I, we were on a vacation, in, uh, and we stopped through this deal in England, and we went to the place where Downton Abbey was filmed, okay, this show, okay? And we showed up there, and the tour guide was telling us that they had actually, the actual people lived there years ago, they went and they took seeds from Lebanon and they planted cedars, like cedars of Lebanon, literally. And I did not have a grid until I saw these trees in person. They are magnificent. They are huge. Do not think any cedars you've ever seen in Texas. I mean, they are as wide as, as two trucks. They are huge. And so when you see it, you're like, okay, cedars of Lebanon. Wow, you could build a whole boat out of one of them. I mean, they are unbelievable. So it's this, it's this idea of being in the desert and flowers blossoming, that the Lord has that kind of power and might to put flowers in the desert, to grow cedars that were the most glorious in its day in the middle of the desert, right? To take Carmel and, and, and Sharon, oftentimes referred to for its beauty, Right? And for its fertility, talk about, uh, about the land being fruit producing, where livestock could roam and graze. That concept is transforming a desert into a place, kind of like a Garden of Eden type of place. But that is what the Lord is promising. He will transform and has the ability to transform even the most desert places. And for us, we... Um, think sometimes just if there's a change in circumstances, then our hope changes. And I'm not saying circumstances don't help us. They do, right? Um, oftentimes. But I think that, that what, what Isaiah is speaking to, even, and then even for us today, is that really what needs to shift is our hope level. Like, it's our hope level in life, that your circumstances can be the same, and yet something inside of you, in your mind, in your core, in your belief system, shifts. I, th I think we know that. You can be in the same house, have the same job, have the same friends, have the same amount of money, have the same situation, and yet something can change. Even though circumstantially nothing has changed. It is the hope level. It's the expectation, the anticipation that God will fulfill his promises. Now let me talk about Anticipation, just for a moment here, okay? So I'll define it this way, seeing or feeling that something might happen in the future and perhaps doing something about it now. So anticipating is, is, it is seeing or feeling 
But it's not just waiting around for it. There's actually part of that idea is to be active with it. To anticipate means just as we're anticipating, you know, celebrating Christmas, you are decorating, right? You are making plans. Like you're not just sitting around, oh, wait for Christmas. Oh, wait. For, like you actually have to buy some gifts, right? That's kind of standard procedure. You give gifts, you receive gifts. There is something you are doing in preparing yourselves for the celebration. In Latin, actually, that word anticipation is broken down into taking into possession beforehand. Just started thinking about that. How can you take something into possession beforehand? Right? How do you do that? It's in your heart. Like, I can't physically have it, but I have it. Right? It's the taking into possession beforehand. It is, it is claiming, it is, it is declaring, it is grabbing hold of the promises of God. So if you're an Israelite and, 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 if, and, and if you were stuck in captivity, right? If you're the Jews, you're stuck there and you're in Pharaoh's rule for 400 years, generations are enslaved, and yet you knew one day God was gonna set you free. And the few remnant that remembered that, held on to that promise, then you had to go through each day knowing, no, one day I'll be delivered. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. You have to maintain that kind of mentality and belief in order to get through to see to it. And yet we also know that even in Hebrews, it's not that we always get to see the promises fulfilled, right? Like God does not guarantee us all the time that on our watch and when we're ready, those promises will come to pass. He does guarantee they will come to pass. But then that's where faith comes in, which is, oh, I believe even though I didn't get to experience it. I didn't get to taste it. I believe the promise that was for us even though I didn't get to enter it. There is an element of faith. Now, I thought it was interesting. My music people may um, disagree, but I did do some research on this, okay? So in music, anticipation is defined as the early sounding of one or more tones of a succeeding chord from a, uh, form a temporal dissonance. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit, all right? So although dissonance in music may make some listeners feel uneasy, it ultimately helps to create tension and a sense of motion in compositions. Think of a lot of classical music, the way things build, and then, right? So it's taking you, it's kind of like a roller coaster. It's like, oh my gosh, here, we, we're going up. We're going up, woo, right? So that's like music, right? There is a build, and it's very intentional, Right, and it's almost that that music can be in conflict. It's like, da da dun da da dun da da You're like, whoa, right? That's, that is dissonance, right? So there's this tension that builds and rises to a peak and then is resolved in a story's conclusion. Oftentimes we think about it in the sense of uh, uh, two characters in conflict in a story, right? Dissonance in music is often, but not always, followed by harmonic resolution in musical pieces. Harmonic resolution, meaning whenever you hear that, and it's in modern day songs too, when you feel that tension coming, and it's in movies all the time, right? It's like it takes you there. <gasps> oh, I'm so glad that all worked out. I'm glad they got back together, right? I'm glad that ended well. I mean, that's, let's just be honest. Like, that's how humans are. Like, there is conflict on planet Earth. And what we actually are longing for is not for the conflict, 
but for the harmonic resolution of it, for the redemption, for the restoration, for the peace to come. I don't think we're all clamoring for that, but it happens and it's part of life and part of anticipation for us is anticipating the coming of Christ, anticipating all things becoming new, anticipating the desert being a place where things can grow again, anticipating the rains to come on the dry ground. It's that kind of mentality to where God is inviting us into again to say, no matter what the circumstances are, will you trust me? Will you believe that I will bring the harmony? I will bring the peace, even though we experience that kind of tension. And you know, we talk about anticipation in this season of Advent. Um, I think a, a, another word for anticipation and expectation is faith, right? For us as, as believers, if you have committed your, yourself to follow Christ, to receive him, what he has done on the cross, burial, resurrection, if you decided, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, then what you have chosen is actually to live by faith. You've chosen to live for things you can't see. Some things you can see, but there's a lot of things you can't. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Go back to that Latin translation of anticipation. Taking into possession beforehand. I'm taking it into possession beforehand. Even for us, it would be us saying, Lord, we are going to raise our family and love them well before we ever had kids. But that mindset was, we're gonna prepare ourselves as adults and as a married couple so when one day, when we do actually become an actual mother or father of actual children, we're prepared and ready, even though there's gonna be twists and turns, but our hearts are prepared, right? I may not know what in the world I'm doing with this diaper, but I have a heart to learn. Right? I may not know what to do with the middle of the night or the screaming thing or this thing, but my heart is ready. Does that make any sense? God is looking for hearts to be ready. Not that your hands have it all figured out. Not that your feet know everywhere to go. Not that you've sorted it all out and all the mysteries. He's looking for ready hearts, ready and willing and able. And say, Lord, I'm here. What do you want? See, faith is the confidence that we believe that what we believe is true, and our faith as believers is rooted in who Jesus is and what he has done and what he will do. His first coming, his second coming. And we live in this tension in our world that is broken, that has sin and suffering, and there's pain and sadness and loss and frustration. But there's also beauty. There's goodness. There's joy don't allow day-to-day -day living to just throw you into the dumps and to say, well, it's all going to pot. Man, you know, God didn't make us for that. God made us to enjoy him and enjoy his creation. Yet, there is brokenness and sin and destruction. So we are called to rise above that. And they say, let's deal with that to the measure that we can and allow the grace of God to deal with that coming in our lives. But then let's enjoy and let's embrace the beauty of God and the life that he has, right? Like we can't eke our way through, through life. You will if you don't anticipate him coming back and making all things new, 
right? If you don't expect that, then you act like a slave. A slave to the brokenness and harshness and, and, and the death and the pain of this world that it, that it supplies in plenty. And then you grow numb. And then you just go through the motions in your marriage. You go through the motions as a dad. You go through the motions as a college student. Oh, I just need to get through this class. Oh, I just can't wait this is over. Can I tell you guys something for the college students in the room? Um, when you see college as a gift, as an opportunity, as a privilege and not a right, you study different. When you're entitled to education, and this is everybody, including the kids, the K through 12, when you feel entitled to something, you do not give the effort nor the appreciation. Right? That is fact. I don't have a scripture for that, but it just is. Therefore, when we approach things with, wow, I am blessed. I am grateful. I don't deserve this at all. I want to give it my best effort. Lord, help me to not forget this. Help me to not just go through the motions in my job, in my life, in this Christmas season. Help me to remember. Help me to be grateful. Oh, man, life is different. You know what it's like to be around someone that's very thankful and humble and grateful because we like being around them. We're like, man, I just, I don't know. You're just so, I want to be around you. You want to hang out. Can I come to your birthday? What can we, it's because, it's because they are oozing out Jesus. What is attractive about Jesus is attractive on their people when you see that, right? We usually don't want to show up to the arrogant birthday party, right? Where they're like on this stool the whole time, you know, come and kiss my feet. Sing me happy birthday, it's all about me. That gift, I need a bigger one, right? I'm joking, but in some sense, that's how people are. They may not say it because social is ramifications, but they are thinking it, right? Because they're entitled. I've always said this in the past, and I'll continue to say it again. I am entitled to one thing, hell. I'm entitled to eternal separation from a holy God. That's what I have earned, by myself, by the way. I didn't need your help. I earned it. The first time I stole that candy, the first time I cheated on that test, the first time I hit my brother, the first time I lied to my mom, the first time, the first time, the first time, guess what? I had enough first times, I didn't need the second and third times, that destined me on a direct course, collision course, for eternal separation from God. But Christ, his first coming, made a way. He prepared a way thousands of years ago, knowing that one day I'd be born, one day you'd be born, and you would sin too, and you would actually be separated from God because of your sin, because he is so holy and righteous and good. God is, he cannot intermingle with you. You are not welcome in his holy house if you are unholy, right? It's like when you walk into a store, no shoes, no service, it's like sin, no entrance, Right, unholiness, no entrance. Only the holy, but who makes us holy? How can I become holy? And for a thousand years, people would do traditions and different um, uh, things they would create in and of themselves and different cultures, different religions to say, this is how I can become a holy man or a holy woman. And yet God over and over and over said, guess what, there's only one way. It's when Jesus was born 
He lived a perfect holy life. He became the ultimate sacrifice. That is the only way you will know me and you will no longer be destined for there, be destined for relationship forever. So when we talk about anticipation, we are anticipating not like, man, what can I get off earth? It's like getting on that train that doesn't end. It's like, oh, what can I get off the next stop? No, no, no. The anticipation needs to be, it will be a thousand and one times better than any feeling you have ever had on earth. Think of like the best feeling. Championship, the day you got married, held your first baby. I don't know what it is. Maybe you got an A on a test. If you're little, that was a big deal. I don't know. Take that feeling, that's a thousand, and then measure that out into constant. That constant feeling. That's heaven. But all of that is not about your achievements. That constant feeling is actually about, I'm in the presence of the glory of God. And this place is beyond what I can imagine. That's where we're anticipating his return. Because when he returns, he makes all things new. He's already prepared a place for us, right? But he's also preparing our hearts to say, hey, I want you to bring as many people with you. That's what Christmas is about. It's not just, hey, man, how can I just focus it on God? It is that. It is about him. But it's about them. It's about those that are entitled to eternal separation from God. And I don't want that for anybody. I don't want that for the meanest kid that was mean to me in school or some parents yelled at me lately about baseball or someone who's come to this church and left angry about something. I don't want that for anyone. I want people to know him. I want them to know him and to be free. That should be our same desire. And so there's a heart, there's a heart posture we've got to have. First Peter chapter one, six through nine. In this you rejoice. <clears throat> Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I read that to say this. This is how you posture your heart in a sinful, broken world. Here's the recipe. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is the key. It's the, it's the faith element. It's the anticipation <clears throat> element. That's what we get to do in this Advent season. We get to love. We get to believe. We get to rejoice. We get to obtain the salvation of our souls. Now, when I turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 5, because while the Jewish people were in Babylonian captivity... God promises them that his glorious power and mercy is coming, right? And the truth is, is their unbelief is what got them in this mess in Babylon in the first place. So let's pick it up in verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 40. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you see it again? Isaiah's writing again. The power of God is going to literally raise valleys and lower mountains to level things out, to make straight. There is no crookedness. There is no more stumbling blocks, right? There's no more trip hazards. He's going to level it out and make it clear that is the coming kingdom. And that in this barren landscape, God is going to come with his refreshment. And these metaphors of these valleys and mountains and uneven grounds are meant to convey a change that is not necessarily external in a earthly sense, but only comes by changing of the hearts. That's what he's speaking to. He's speaking to the changing of the hearts, that for the people who are in captivity at the time, you've got to repent, and you've got to change, and you've got to believe again. That is what I'm inviting you into. And when a community of people will repent and believe and change their ways and orient their lives around me again, that is when the valleys are raised up and when the mountains are made low. You can have a really straight path, but if no one's willing to go down it, then what's the point? But if you straighten it out, people's hearts are ready. Okay, I'm ready. I'm prepared for that day, Lord, when you're leading me into that promised land. And when he says there in And verse five, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. All flesh, that's meaning not just a few, but the whole world. The whole world will see. The whole world will see the glory of God revealed. Therefore, our hope and our anticipation during this Advent season is um, not just one single event. It's in a person. It's in a person and it's in his and his promises. But you guys may know that that passage in Isaiah 40 is not the only time that's referenced. In the Gospels, when John the Baptist is preaching and baptizing people the Jordan River, in Luke chapter three, verse three, he says, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and crooked and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You know, at different points in history, I think there's probably been times where it was hard to find godly men and women. And for hundreds of years, actually, in Israel, there wasn't a whole lot. At least God wasn't speaking through the prophets like he used to. For several hundred years, and then John the Baptist comes on the scene, this kind of wild-eyed guy we don't know much about, but we kind of imagine he's some sort of survivor man kind of guy. He's, he can, like, live off anything, nuts and berries. and It's like, wow, this guy, he doesn't care about what he dresses. But he had a pure heart, and God came upon him, spoke to him, and said, you're going to be my messenger. You're going to be the guy who's going to go before the Son of God, preparing the people, preparing them to repent, because he's coming. So do you notice John's main ministry was repentance, not actually the baptisms, right? That was, but the main ministry of John, John was what? Repent. He's coming. 
Repent, anticipate, prepare. He is coming. And when he comes, he is going to usher in something brand new. And so whether you've ever been in church or not, whether you're a religious leader or not, no matter where you're coming from, repent. He's coming. That's what God chose to use, and that was his main message. Not a fun message, not a Christmas movie message, right? It's coming to theaters. Repent. I mean, just, you aren't going to go see that. I don't want to buy the popcorn. I'm going to be repenting. Ah. You know, oh, but that's the message. But that is it, because what's on the other side of repentance? You want the flowers to bloom in the desert? You want the cedars of Lebanon to grow? You want the mountains to come down, the valleys to rise up? That only happens on the backside of repentance. So we can anticipate, and that's exciting, but anticipation, as I said earlier, requires some action. It requires you to prepare, me to prepare my heart so that we're ready. We're not just celebrating that Christ came once, we're celebrating he's going to come again. And we're in the in-between, guys. We're in the tension, that musical reference. We're in the tension in the story. The music's building, it's still building. It's been building for a couple thousand years. That's a long song. It's still going. And one day, this tension, and what's happening right now is the world is trying to convince people and convince Christians, hey, guess what? Your day's over. It's the time for darkness. Now, I don't know, but everything that's going on and everything's gonna happen, I'm not gonna predict all that. Here's what I do know. There's a tension building, and Christ will come at the point of time. I don't know how bad it has to get out there or not, or however it has to happen each nation. I don't really care about that, honestly. What I care about is that we individually are preparing ourselves, ready. We're ready to go. Lord, if you come when we all thought it was gonna happen, which probably won't happen, whenever most people think it's gonna happen, it's not. Just remember that. God's outsmarted us already. So just, if there's a big wave pushing this, be like, dude, that's totally not it. There's no way God would have allowed 500 million people to figure that out. That's not gonna happen. Okay, it's gonna be like a couple of people might have an inkling, right? And that's probably the one to go with. When he returns, though, that building is gonna make all things new. Justice will be served. That's what we're building towards. So we've gotta get ready. This last scripture I wanna read here, I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. It's from Ecclesiastes 3. So maybe not a, a passage you read all the time, and maybe you don't read it a lot during the Christmas season, because if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, you know, on the whole, it can be kind of discouraging. If you, haven't, if you haven't read it, you're probably not laughing, but you should read it, because it is poetry, and a lot of people read it when they're like, when they're like depressed. They're like, yeah, see, he said it too. All is vanity, <laughs> right? I'm sure Scrooge read it, right? <laughs> but let me point something out to you because although the first few chapters can be quite discouraging, here's what I want you to see, though. Let's pick it up in verse 10. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. 
yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now I want to highlight that phrase that says, he has put eternity into man's heart. I don't believe he's speaking to just people that believe that God is real or have put their faith and trust in Jesus because this was written before Jesus ever came. I believe he's writing about all mankind, all men and women on planet Earth who have ever lived and will live. There is some sort of eternal longing in the heart, something that longs for something different than what this world has to offer. And what he writes in Ecclesiastes about everything you can experience and have your disposal and possessions and adventures and pleasures and all those things in the end, it's not enough. So you can have it all, but it's not enough. It's not completely satisfying. But what is? Oh, that eternity. Something about that is satisfying. It's what we long for. And when it talks of the human heart, generally speaking in the Bible, it's an expression of the mind, of the soul the spirit of each person. And God places in the Hebrew, it's alam, that word for eternity, into our hearts and soul. And the idea of eternity into people's hearts affirms the idea that humans operate in a different way than every other form of life. We have a sense of eternity in our lives. We possess an innate knowledge that there is something more to live for. There's something beyond what we can see, what we can touch, what we can hear, what we can smell. There's something more. We can't put our finger on it, but there's more. As we enter into this Advent season, I want to invite you to long for eternity, to long for his return not in a way of not engaging with life right now. Because in the same paragraph, he says, um, be joyful, do good, as long as you live. Enjoy what God has provided, yet don't allow that to surpass the eternal longing. It's secondary. Decorating for Christmas is secondary. Baking cookies is secondary. Going to grandma's is secondary. They're good. It's fine. Oh, but if we get this right, if this actually is our centerpiece, if this is what you are daily chewing on and you're taking time to center your heart, your mind, your soul on, oh, Lord, prepare my heart again to be grateful and thankful that you've already came and that you're coming again. So let's stand this morning as we close. And really just want to invite us in our own heart posture 
just to prepare our hearts as we kind of kick things off here today on Sunday, this Advent season, you've got opportunity to take the next few minutes. Just prepare your own heart. So just whatever you need to do, whatever the Lord's inviting you into, just if you want to pray, if you want to sing, if you want someone to pray for you, if you want to read the scriptures, if you want to come up here and kneel, do whatever you want to do. Just, it's a heart posture day. It's getting our hearts ready as we anticipate him, daily anticipation, expectation for the celebration of Christ's return. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. We thank you that you've already come. You've made a way where there was no way. And yet now you've invited us to prepare our hearts, to prepare the way of the Lord, that we'd be ready as a people. We would live ready. Not live caught off guard, but live ready. And yet enjoy everything you've provided to look at the beauty of creation, to look at what is good, to laugh, to enjoy, and yet to keep our hearts right before you. Come meet with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name.